Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking about cataract surgery and ways to help you see better with Dr. Weish Coleman of willis Knighton Eye Institute. We'll be taking your calls throughout the show and as a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned down all the way before making your call. The number is 318-219-4569. So be sure and call us to get all the answers to your questions by talking directly with Dr. Coleman. Thanks for being here again, Dr. Coleman. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sure, always good to see you. So let's talk about, talk about what we were talking about during the tease because that was very interesting about people who have had previous surgeries. Yeah, so that's sort of been a special interest of mine for a while and I thought we could take the chance to drill down on that today. Um, and there's people who've had, let's say LASIK, I'll give you an example. So I saw a patient who had LASIK in the 90s, in the very early days of LASIK, and, and they, they had trouble at night, lots of uh, what we would call dysphotopsias, glare, halo at night. Said. I'm not comfortable driving at night. I see good in the daytime, and I have since my LASIK, but, I, but they don't see good at night since then. And you know, in the early days of LASIK, you could only treat a, a very small area. And what would happen is, commonly, the pupil would dilate beyond that area um, at night. And so those people may not see good at night, and now we have the ability to treat a lot larger areas. So those problems aren't nearly as prevalent with LASIK now as they used to be. They're just almost non-existent now. But the, I saw this patient and, and that was the problem. So we have the ability to go back and, and do what we call enlarge the optical zone. This is somebody who's had night issues for 30 years. They're usually still glad they had it, but we're able to go enlarge the optical zone with the, what's called a topography guided treatment and take away the night symptoms, keep the vision good at distance, but take away the night symptoms by treating a zone that's larger than your pupil's able to dilate. So, you know, that was an example of taking someone who, who had had some, some problem that was not the result that he had wanted, but technology's allowed us to fix that now. Um, you know, and that's been a special interest of mine for a while because occasionally you would see someone, usually these are people from out of town. So, you know, I always say you, know, you, you, you almost can't make a wrong choice in Shreveport. For whatever reason, everyone in Shreveport has pretty new equipment. There's a lot of, comp there's a lot of competition. Of course, we think our equipment's the best, but <laughs> honestly, it's all very good. You can't go to someone who does a bad job with LASIK in the Shreveport local area. Um, but there's plenty of discount providers in Dallas, and the, you know, the way that they do cheaper LASIK is they use old equipment that doesn't cost as much to use, or some of them don't even cost anything per click to use. And new equipment costs, it's very expensive, several hundred dollars every time you turn it on and, and push the button. So you see people, and I've seen people over the years, and it's always frustrating, because um, it was very difficult to get good, concise information to know what to do with these rare people who roll through. And I always hate to, hate to leave anybody behind and say, hey, I can't do anything for you. You know, find somebody else or you're probably gonna have to live like this. So this has been a topic I was interested in for a while. There's a guy named Dan Reinstein in London who, who has put on a course. This is the only one in the world where they really talk about what to do with someone like that and from a real scientific perspective. And he's focused on that for years. People travel from all over the world. You know, if you were, um, you know, he's got a case of a NASA engineer who had, who had had a problem after LASIK in the, in the 90s and, and finally figured out to go over to London and, and get fixed. And, you know, this guy's 2015 now. Great results. So this guy who's compiled a lot of data and done a lot of this stuff and now gives a course on, for other people to, to, be, to know what to do when this rare person comes through. That normally you would say, I'm not sure what to do. This is an unusual case. And there's probably only a few people in the U.S. who really focus in on that. So I, I've done this guy's course online a few times. I went over to London, worked with him in his clinic for a couple of days, and, um, and tried to understand better therapeutic refractive surgery. So these are rare people, 
But since we're on TV, I thought maybe there's one of them watching who's had a bad result. And I, I think that we've, we've got really a scientific way to divide them into a category and, and pick the appropriate treatment. And it would be pretty rare to find someone that you can't do anything for. So, you know, I, that's a special interest of mine. I would encourage people if, they have, if they're in that situation, come to my clinic. I want to see you. Um, and a lot of those people are the people that no one else wants to see because it's a difficult thing and slows you down. You've got to spend a lot of time doing diagnostics and making a good plan. But usually if you can make a good plan, uh, you know, you can give them a good visual result. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting when you and Dr. Shelby are here too. We do talk about cataract surgery. You're the cataract surgeons. That's how to find you. But we encourage anybody, and we get all ranges of calls when you're here. So anyone with any questions about their eyesight is encouraged to call, and we get that wide variety. And I we love do. that the, the thread that I always hear from you is there's probably something that we can do. Come see us. Yes, and I, I know if there's anybody watching today, give us a call. We like the callers. The, um, I always say if we, if we scripted the callers, we couldn't do any better than the people who call. It's like they ask the most pertinent questions. And, you know, I run this loop in my waiting room. Um, you know, I, I take the recording, I put it in my waiting room. It's good educational content for people who are sitting there waiting to be seen. I always say it's better than having the news on, but no offense. <laughs> Just <laughs> I don't mind because I'm on there with you sometimes. So Just it's all as good. good. Okay, so, <laughs> you know, the other situation that, that me and Dr. Shelby both take a spectrum interest in is people who had cataract surgery years ago and, and don't see as good as they want to see after cataract surgery. You know, had a bad result, wanted to be glasses free, didn't achieve that goal. And that's pretty common. And, and some of that is because, you know, we just had the ability recently to, let's say in the past five years, the LASIK equipment has gotten a lot better. And so we, we have the ability to do a very precise enhancement on people after cataract surgery. So I see a lot of people who had cataract surgery years ago, they're still in glasses they don't want to be, um, you know, because of residual astigmatism or whatever. You know, our modern cataract surgery has really just evolved over the last decade to become very precise from a refractive standpoint. And that means not just getting the cloudy cataract out of the way, but also leaving someone with a glasses independent result. The lenses have gotten better. The lasers to do cataract surgery with have gotten better. Um, so there's been a lot of technological process in measuring the eye and picking which lens to put in the eye has gotten a lot better. And you know now we even have the light adjustable lens, which is great for certain people, especially people who've had previous LASIK before cataract surgery because we can just go adjust the power of it afterwards. So you put it in, you get pretty close, and then you go change the power of the lens and, and put that person in perfect focus uh, after the fact. And that's a great thing to have. You know, it's not necessary for everybody. But all of those things have led us to the ability to have you know, a, a more precise outcome. So commonly I'll see people who had you know, maybe a multifocal lens in the early days of multifocal lenses. They kind of got a bad rap back then because they weren't very good. You know, they cause a lot of glare, halo, night symptoms. Um, and, and you see a lot of people who have those, but maybe it's as simple as they haven't ever had a secondary cataract lasered. So I've seen a lot of people who have been unhappy for years. Maybe they had cataract surgery 10 years ago and they said it was never what it was supposed to be. And then it's as simple as lasering the secondary cataract and it changes their whole world and that should have been done a long time ago. And that seems simple, but that wasn't that intuitive back then. You know, we've got a lot more information now. We've published some things on uh, recently on the benefit of, of doing a YAG laser, a laser of a secondary cataract, especially in the in the case of a multifocal lens patient, because those people get a lot better contrast sensitivity. And um, you know, that's the, the specific topic that we studied: is the patient with a multifocal lens and a secondary cataract. You'll improve contrast sensitivity because you have some people who are 20/20. 
and they say they don't see that good. The, the laser for the secondary cataract is usually the solution. And then you also see a subgroup of people that have residual refractive error, and that's you know collectively farsightedness, nearsightedness, astigmatism. Um, and and those people, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, nobody would have done a LASIK touch-up on them. That would have been that would have been considered you know, a, a risky thing to do. Well, LASIK's gotten a lot better and the equipment's gotten a lot better. So now that's pretty routine. So even people who had cataract surgery 20 years ago uh, who were stuck in glasses and didn't want to be, we can go do LASIK after cataract surgery and, and, and essentially make it perfect, get it to where they wanted it to, you know, to be initially and get them out of glasses. And do you find that a lot? Someone will come in and they already had one surgery or, and they had no idea that they could have We find it again? a lot and I, and I think that we've, we've comp in the process of compiling all this data we've realized a couple of things. That, that people need a laser for a secondary cataract early, especially with a multifocal lens. So my first move in my own practice is if somebody is not 100% happy with a multifocal lens, we should laser the secondary cataract first. In the old days, these lenses weren't that good, and so people were scared that they may have to exchange them, that they may have to take the multifocal lens out and go put a monofocal lens in. And, and lasering a secondary cataract makes that more difficult. So they said, hey, we're scared, we may have to exchange this lens, better not laser the secondary cataract. But a lot of times that alone would have solved the problem. So, and then the other thing we realized it, is that, that if that doesn't solve the problem, most of those people have a little bit of residual refractive error farsightedness, nearsightedness, astigmatism, something that can be corrected with LASIK. So, you know, if you do those two steps, you can take, if you take the, the group of people who have not had the result they wanted from cataract surgery, and you laser the secondary cataract, and you LASIK at any residual refractive error, then you end up with about 95% of the unhappy patients suddenly are happy with the result. It's the result they wanted to achieve, okay? Then you have a small subset that have some other problem. And maybe they do need a lens exchange. But I think in general, that, that based on our own data that, that we've had an interest in publishing on this topic, that, that the huge majority of people are punished for the benefit of a tiny minority who might need the lens removed. So some people do need a lens exchange, especially with older multifocal lenses. But overall, that's very rare. And, and usually with, with minimally invasive procedures that are very safe, and very straightforward, we can have a high probability of getting someone to the result that they intended initially. Yeah, that was my question too, thinking about these. When you go in to do a secondary surgery, is that more complicated, depending on what was done and when it was done, how it was done, and rather than starting fresh and doing your own surgery, when you're going in to look at something that was done that they want fixed? It, it's, it's always uh, harder to come back and fix it yeah. rather than do it right the first time. You know, We'd rather get it right the first time. Um, and the longer out, that's the less you want to go in and, and try to remove a lens because it progressively scars into its final position. So yeah. if you could do a LASIK enhancement and get somebody to, to the finish line where they want to be, that's much preferable. And that is the case the high majority of the time. Yeah, and that was my question too when you talk about someone who had this t more than 20 years ago. Is there scarring like there is in the body other places when you have surgery? Well, you know, with cataract surgery, the, your cataract, your natural lens where the cataract forms is surrounded by a thin membrane called the capsule, right? And and that's what holds it in place. And there's some little tiny fibers uh, uh, called zonules that hook to the ciliary body. When you're young, that's what causes your lens to change shape, allows you to focus up close. So when we do cataract surgery, we go and open a hole either by hand or with a laser in the anterior front portion of that capsule 
take the cataract out through it, put the new lens implant inside the capsule. That's the location that it goes in 99% of the time in, in an uncomplicated cataract surgery, um, which 99% of them are. So the lens scars into its final position. You can imagine that, that the, uh, a cataract is, a, is thick. It's maybe five millimeters thick in most people. Mm -hmm. That's about average. So you have this thick lens and you have this capsule that surrounds it and it's curved you know, because it's surrounded by a big thick lens and you put a half a millimeter thick lens implant in and so the radius of curvature of the back part of the capsule, the posterior part that's left intact, is too long. And when it scars into its final position, it has to scar down flat and it just wrinkles some. And so that's what forms this thing we call a secondary cataract. The true name for it is a posterior capsular opacification. That's what we just laser off in the clinic. So that makes a big difference. But the, the, the capsule scars down, and the longer it's been in the eye, the harder it is to free it up and get it out. So, okay. you know, if you can avoid doing a lens exchange surgery, you do. Now, some people need it if they need it. Other people, um, you know, something that's not terribly uncommon, especially with older lens models that were put in 30 or 40 years ago, is the lens can be unstable in that capsular bag where it starts to slide out of the perfect position where you're not looking through the center of the lens, but you're looking through the edge of the lens. Or you're maybe not, in some cases, looking through the lens at all where it's about to fall into the back of the eye or, or, it's, or it's almost done that. So what we do then, and that's another thing that I've really focused on is, is doing lens exchanges and doing what's called a scleral fixation where you don't have the normal structural supports that you, where you would put a lens in the eye with cataract surgery you know, with a, with a normal primary cataract surgery and you have to go fixate it in another place. And that's where you just basically attach it to the sclera, the white part of the eye, when you don't have any of those supporting structures in place. So okay. I see a lot of those people, I've, I've, I've taken a special interest in, in, see, in, in doing those surgeries that are more complex. Usually that's something you gotta put somebody to sleep for. Mm -hmm. But that's not a terribly uncommon thing. Lens design has gotten a lot better over the years and that's rare now. But people who are 30, 40 years ago, that was in the early days of intraocular lenses. They tend to move around. They, it, it, was, it was not as predictable <laughs> as it is now. So sometimes those people need a complex surgery to get their vision back where it should be. And can you, can you feel any of that moving around? Or you just, the, it, your vision is affected and that's how you know something's wrong? Typically not. Typically it, it could cause inflammation because occasionally you get a lens that's out of position and it's rubbing on the iris, the colored part of the eye. In general, nothing should touch the iris. It's very intolerant to contact with anything. It's a fragile structure. And so you could get light sensitivity, you know, eye redness, blurry vision from, from inflammation from the lens floating around and touching the iris. But typically the main thing you'd notice is blurry vision. And some people notice that, you know, they wake up in the morning and when they're laying down their vision's blurry and they sit up and it's okay. Well, that may mm -hmm. be a lens that's like floating around in the eye. Um, you know, and occasionally a lens will just like fall completely out of the way and the vision goes from being clear one day to being very blurry the next day. Right. So what are some of the symptoms? If someone's watching and they're really new to finding out about cataract surgery or any kind of things, what are some of the symptoms that they can look forward to come see you? You know, the most common symptoms of cataracts are, are mainly not seeing as good as you need to or you used to even with your best glasses prescription. So that's common. Golfers say, I can't see my golf ball when I hit it anymore. Um, the other thing that's common is symptoms driving at night. Starburst, glare, halo. Some people have inability to drive at night, but in the daytime they see pretty good. You know, that's typical of a specific type of cataract called a posterior subcapsular cataract. Those people may be 20-20 in the clinic, but they may say, I can't drive at night because of glare. So 
that's a plaque on the back of the lens surface. Those people, it's very typical for them to see great in certain lighting conditions and very terrible in other lighting conditions. Okay, gotcha. All right, we have a caller for you. Oh, good. Hey, hi, Roger. Thank you for calling. What's your question? Uh, yeah, uh, I had a I had a retina detachment in my left eye back in 2003, and uh, the doctors in Houston. Uh, could not get my retina, it pulled my macula down and they couldn't get it uh, smoothed out. They put a surround buckle in it and uh, my vision has got better in it. Uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even see the, but the only thing I could see was a big E on the, on the chart on right. my left eye. And, and I had double vision and for a long time, but I don't have that anymore. And, and uh, of course, I have still a little uh, distortion, you know, but I still can't, can't see much more than the big E. Okay. But anyway, here's my question. Is it possible that, oh, and I had cataract surgery. In both eyes? Uh, back then. I had cataract surgery back in 2000. Okay. On both eyes, on both eyes. And, uh, and is there anything that, that, that possibly by, by the years that's gone by that they've uh, discovered something that they might could uh, straighten my, smooth my retina out? You know, that's a good question. It's a common question. And um, a retinal detachment is a complicated thing. And they, they've gotten better at retinal detachment repairs. But the problem with the retinal detachment is, is once the retina uh, pulls away, it's, it's lost its blood supply or a good portion of it. And so it doesn't take long, maybe an hour, that, that if it's off for that long, it's ischemic, it it's doesn't oh. get good blood flow. So you usually never get the normal vision again once you've had a retinal detachment. You know, if you had a complex retinal detachment repair, it's, it's just guessing to say, can something be done to make it better? You know, if you've had cataract surgery, people who have, have had a retinal detachment repair tend to get cataracts sooner. So that's one thing that if, if, you, if people haven't had that, that sometimes can give you a big improvement. But if you've already had that, um, yeah. the answer but is, I don't know. You know, I'm not a retinal specialist. There are five retinal specialists in town. They're all good. And, you know, I would go get an opinion from one of them. And if you needed a referral, we could definitely give you one just to say, is, is there anything surgically that could be done? You know, unfortunately, a lot of times with retinal attachments, you end up with a lot of scarring. And the scarring can be right in the center of your vision. Um, and then there's not much to do. That, you know, there's not much you can do to improve it, but I think it's worth looking at. And if you haven't seen a retina specialist in a long time, it's probably worth seeing one again. The other thing I say to everyone who had a retinal attachment is when you have one in one eye, it, it puts you at an increased risk of having one in the other eye. So you should probably see a retina specialist just from the standpoint of doing a very detailed exam on the periphery of your good eye to make sure there's nothing there that would predispose you to a retinal attachment. Yeah, well, it has the right eye. The good eye has got, you know, more blurry over the years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that'd be worth looking at. And I'd be happy okay, to see well, you sure. and, and give you a referral if you need it. If we thought that that we and I can usually look and say that there's no hope for this. It's not getting better. Or go see a retina specialist. Maybe there is something they can do to make it better. So I'd be glad to see you. Can call my office, and I'll get you in quick. Tell me, tell me, talked on TV. My number is two one two. 5901, and let's at least look at it. It's worth looking at for sure. 212-5901. You got it. Tell them we talked on TV. 
Okay, well, I, thank you very much. Thanks for the call. Well, that was a good example of yeah. things you like to look at. And, and, and it's so nice to be able to go to someone and say, look, I'm going to tell you straight out. There's nothing we can do, or let's try this, or yeah. let's see what's going on in there. Yeah, who knows? You know, cases like that, you could say there could be a secondary cataract mm -hmm. present. And you said the good eye was blurry. Might be able to laser that and make the good eye better. Mm -hmm. That would be an improvement. Um, that You know, the, there's... There's maybe some things coming down the pipeline with stem cells and things like that for people who have optic nerve problems that have caused permanent vision loss, retina problems. That has that's still the wild west. It's there's nothing that's like ready for prime time. It's all in the early stages of research, and you know it's pretty variable results still. Yeah, and are you seeing new things every day like when you see these patients coming in and you see new things happening and you're hearing about technology and where do you see this going cataract surgery all of it well i think that at some point we're going to end up you know it's sort of happening already where the, where lasik is the gold standard for young people who want to be free from glasses cataract surgery is the gold standard for older people who have some degree of cataract and want to be free from glasses so you know, if somebody walks in the clinic and they're 30, they get in cataract surgery or LASIK surgery usually or smile, one of the corneal refractive surgeries. And if they come in and they're 60, they're getting cataract surgery. That's, cataract surgery is getting younger and younger. Now we're doing uh, implantable contact lenses. So now, you know, if you come in and, or if you've been told in the past, you can't have LASIK, you're too nearsighted, or you can't have LASIK, your cornea is too thin. Now we have something called an implantable contact lens, an ICL that is a thin lens that goes in the eye, it goes on top of your natural lens behind your iris, and you can correct massive amounts of nearsightedness. People who are minus 20, you know, super <laughs> nearsighted can have an ICL and achieve glasses independence. That's amazing. People who've been told in the past they can't have LASIK uh, because their cornea is too thin or they something disqualifies them, uh, they can have an ICL. That's a great option. Uh, but I think that what's happening now is, is lens-based surgery is going to merge with cataract surgery. And the, and the group of people that we still don't have a great answer for are the people who are 20-20 at distance and need readers to see up close. I'm 42, about to be 43. I will be in that category soon. At the end of a work day, I can't see my food so good when I'm eating it. You know, I'm still 2015 or 2010 at distance, <laughs> but I'm not seeing up close. There's no great answer for me. Monovision, if you tolerate it, you know, one eye for near, um, you know, it's probably something I'll try. But some people don't tolerate that and there's not a good answer but i think that what's going to happen is we're going to have better and better lens-based surgeries where we can go take your natural lens out even before a cataract forms and we can put a lens implant in that makes you perfect at distance and makes you perfect right here and everywhere in between so i would anticipate in the next decade that's where we end up that that cornea based surgery like lasik and lens-based surgery probably merge into a lens-based surgery mm -hmm. where even if a 30 year old comes in and they're just nearsighted you go and take their natural lens out, put a new lens in that's maybe like gives you supervision that's not achievable in, with, any, with any natural lens that's better than it was when you were 10 years old. That's amazing. I think encouraging. if progress continues, you know, if humanity doesn't blow themselves back into the Stone Age, which, you know, that looks more likely every day, <laughs> then hopefully we'll keep making progress and that's right. where we'll end up in 10 years because there's some great technology right now that's in the pretty early stages of human trials that looks really promising. All right. Well, that's encouraging. Yeah. All right. Uh, Lane, what is your call? Thank you. I'm with your question. Thank you for calling. Yeah, hi, thank you. I was trying to find out if I have maybe cataract issues or something else, 
it's like in the morning and through the you know early part of the afternoon if I'm out my vision's fine but if I come home and I'm sitting around the house and I decide to run to the store a little bit later in the day like say five or six o'clock it's like my vision's really blurry it's like I'm losing I, you know, my eyes are weak or something I'm not sure if that's a cataract or what you know it could be how old are you I am 63 okay that's a good test. I mean, you're sort of creeping up on cataract surgery age. That's a little early, but it's a pretty wide, uh, widely variable range. You know, 69 is the average age in the U.S., but certainly we see people who are in their 40s with cataracts, and we see people who uh -huh. sometimes are in their 80s and still see great. But, you know, cataract's not something that, that is that is okay in the morning and then bad in the afternoon and there's very few right. things that's, that's what i was that's what i see it'd be permanent it'd be constant if it yeah it'd be constant like and the, the most common thing that causes vision fluctuation from minute to minute or hour to hour is surface dryness you know because your clear vision is dependent on a uniform tear film coating the surface of your eye you know your tear film's right. about two microns thick and you know that's like smearing water on a tabletop and the reason it doesn't evaporate instantly like you would like it would if you smeared it on a, on a countertop is because there's an oily layer sitting over the top of the watery layer of your tears and the older we get the the more the, the less high quality that oily layer is so your tears will can evaporate more quickly right and that can cause blur um that could be the reason right. i think it would be worth doing an exam to determine what the what the cause is but dry is common and uh would that be that would be a LASIK issue, would it? What's that? That wouldn't have nothing to do with a, like LASIK issue, would it? LASIK. Wait, uh, with LASIK? Did you say did you say LASIK surgery? Yes, sir. Yeah. I mean, would that have something? Is that what LASIK does? I mean, oh, the, you know, that issue with your did eye. you have LASIK in the past? No, sir. No, sir. I was just wondering if what if that leads up to you needing that actual surgery. Oh, you know, some people have dryness after LASIK, you know, for a temporary period of time. But no, those are two separate things. You know, dry eye may be the most common medical condition on earth. Um, okay. And there's two possible causes of it. Number one, well, there's three really. Maybe the most common is people's eyes drying out as they sleep. So, you know, I know your particular situation, but if you have sleep apnea, use a CPAP machine, they should hand those things out with, with lubricant ointment like cysteine overnight. And that's a thick ointment that because it's common for people to keep their eyes slightly open, let's say one millimeter of opening of your lids will allow your tears to dry out all night long. That doesn't sound like the case with you because it's worse in the afternoon no, no. than it is in right. the morning, but it's common. Like so, later in the day, later in the day, it's just, like I said, after I get back home and decide to go back out again, that's when, I mean, you know, it's just like a blur almost kind of. Yeah, I, I certainly think it would be worth worth looking at, but it, in general, it doesn't sound like cataracts. It, it'd be good to do an exam okay. on you, but just in general, you know, if it's good in the morning and then it's worse in the afternoon, a lot of times that is a deficiency of the oily layer of your tear film, and and people can improve that by using hot compresses. Your your the oily layer of your tear film is produced by your meibomian glands, and those are the little glands that surround your eyelids. They sometimes get stopped up with a waxy type buildup. That's common in men, and you can use hot compresses to basically melt down those the, that can, that oily here that stops up those meibomian glands. You could also take fish oil. That helps. It makes those meibomian glands produce a better quality of oily tears. And if it's if it's getting dry and blurry in the afternoon, that sometimes makes mm -hmm. all the difference. And you can use over-the-counter artificial tears also. But I, you know, like okay. I say to everybody, I'd be glad to look at you in the clinic.
Okay, let me try that, and if it don't get any better, I may schedule an appointment down there with you, and I appreciate your help. Thank yes, you. Yes, thanks for the call. Uh-huh. So, so that's a good topic, you know, dry eyes. The, most people can probably solve that problem on their own. Mm-hmm. There's a million different therapies for dry eyes, and it's a, it's a pet peeve of mine because people end up on expensive medicines for their whole life, and, and maybe all they needed was a gel tear to use at bedtime. So, you know, if somebody's eyes are, are gritty in the morning, foreign body sensations, what people feel like, something's in the eye, like you got an eyelash, it's not an eyelash. Then they say, my eyes aren't dry because they run water. Well, that's reflex tearing. Surface gets damaged from dryness, you produce tears that run down your face. So I'd say, you know, people who are, are, have dry and irritated in the morning or they're running water, lubricate them at night. Sustain overnight, sustain gel are great. People who are dry in the afternoon, use some artificial tears, hot compresses, fish oil. A lot of times that totally solves the problem. If it doesn't work, you know, come in and see me. Yeah, and that was one of the one things I learned early on when we were doing Healthline 3. The first thing was that just even if you're feeling healthy, it's all good. This is a good idea to put eye drops in your eyes before you go to sleep. Just do that. Yeah. Because we all, our eyes open a, a little bit A lot of people do. I'm not saying everybody, right. but it's like 50%. So if you have people walk in that bad dry eyes and you lubricate them all, mm-hmm. 50% of them will have their problem solved. Yeah. And they don't need anything else. So that's usually a good place to start. The gentleman that called sounds different. He sounds like he's fine in the morning, but a lot of times that's just uh, the oily t- tear deficiency in the afternoon, the vision gets blurry. Okay. So that's pretty common. And, and usually taking some supplemental fish oil makes a big difference. So just taking fish oil, like the capsules or? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's interesting. You can, you can take somebody who has stopped up myobomian glands, they end up with little oily caps on them. And if they use some hot compresses and take 500 milligrams of fish oil, you can watch the tears flow out. They'll come back in a month and you can see it actually flowing when it was totally stagnant before. So it makes a big difference and it's a simple solution. That's probably one of the biggest things you can do to care for your eyes is just keep them lubricating. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just take care of it. All right, give us your phone number one more time, Dr. Yeah, Coleman, we'll plug before we say the website. It's uh, thecataractsurgeons.com and my number is 212-5901. Our uh, main number is 212-2020 for Willis Site North. So